Welcome to The Raw Roast, where we have real conversation about faith and life over a good cup of coffee. My name is Tucker Anderson. I'm one of the hosts of this podcast, and I'm one of the pastors here at Calvary Church. I'm here today with uh, Dr. Janine Brown. Dr. Brown is a professor of New Testament, and uh, she's the director of online programs at Bethel Seminary. Uh, She's taught at Bethel for um, over uh, 20 years at both the St. Paul and San Diego campuses. Um, And uh, Janine has had a significant impact on my own uh, formation and um, and uh, role as an interpreter of scripture, and so Janine, it's uh, it's good to have you on the show today. I appreciate you taking your time to to be with us. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, one, I mean, I know your your primary expertise. I think I'm correct in saying is is in the in, in the Gospels and interpreting mm-hmm. the Gospels. And it's true. Um, I have a a, partic- a t- particular love for the Gospels myself, and so I thought it'd be fun to have a conversation and dialogue today around how to become better interpreters of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, and to start our conversation, I thought perhaps uh, it'd be good for you just to share a little bit of your background. How did you become interested in biblical studies and perhaps uh, the Gospels in particular? Absolutely. Well, um, I started my ministry career with University Christian Fellowship, um, working on campuses with students um, right out of college, and I'd been involved with university as a student, um, and soon came to realize that it would be helpful if I had some formal training uh, in biblical interpretation. Um, and uh, I'd done great training with university, but it just felt like I needed something more formal, a little more extensive, so I showed up at Bethel Seminary um, and signed up for a master's program there, and um, that really engaged my interest in the Gospels in deeper ways. I had seen the Gospels as sort of the repository of these variety of things that Mm -hmm. Jesus said and did, and um, I couldn't have told you probably entering seminary um, if you said Jesus did this, couldn't have told you which gospel and where in that gospel it shows up. Mm-hmm. But Bob Stein, who taught, Dr. Stein, who taught my gospels course and my other interpretation courses, was really good at having us read whole gospels and hear the themes mm-hmm. that run through them. Um, and that just spurred my interest. And I took a lot of courses with him. I took a Luke course, a parables course, as well as the Gospels and other kinds of courses around those topics. And so when I went into my doctoral work, um, I knew I was really comfortable with Paul. My tradition was comfortable with Paul. So therefore, yeah. I was comfortable with Paul. So I thought, okay, I, I need to keep on pressing into the Gospels. And there I um, uh, learned about uh, some particular, particularly narrative approaches to the Gospels that, mm-hmm. that really took what I'd learned in my seminary days and really expanded to think about how does how do stories work? How, yeah. do, how are the Gospels stories? I have a book called The Gospels as Stories, which doesn't mean they're not historical narrative, but it means we can pay attention to their shape as stories. And I've loved studying that. My dissertation was on Matthew and on a larger section of text related to the disciples' portrayal. Mm -hmm. And I've gone on to write commentaries on Matthew and journal articles and book essays on topics around the Gospels. It's kind of been my my home base for my own writing, thinking, and teaching. You you mentioned that you, you felt comfortable with Paul. And um, mm-hmm. I remember reading, uh, I had uh, Jonathan Pennington, uh, Dr. Pennington down at mm-hmm. uh, Southern Seminary yeah. for one of my courses, and uh, he mentioned something similar. He was mm-hmm. comfortable with Paul, but less comfortable with the Gospels, and it makes me think that that might be more of a common trend just in evangelical circles. I mean, do you think that's true? And if so, why do you think we jump to yeah. Romans before 
We yeah. might jump to Matthew, for instance. I think, uh, and this might be a cultural of uh, facet, Western white sort of Christianity and mm-hmm. Christians more comfortable with um, what was called for me. It was called didactic material. Now, I, I think all the scripture is didactic. Mm-hmm. All the all the writers of scripture are trying to teach, you know. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Um, but I, but what is that sense of more direct, more explicit? And narrative um, is is often implicit, unless yeah. you like the Aesop's fables and the moral of the story is, you know, yeah. unless you have something like that in the end. And none of the gospel writers do that. They they trust their audience to have heard the theology mm-hmm. that they're sharing as they tell the story of Jesus. And I think that implicit meaning, implicit theology. Uh, it's for me very captivating to think about those yeah. categories. And it, it, implicit doesn't mean it's not there. It means we have to listen to the cues, listen for the themes, um, and and that's again I think captivating, especially across long texts. I mean, the Gospels are much longer than even Romans, which mm-hmm. is the longest Pauline letter. So it it kind of forces you to really take account of the whole. You know, in a way that I just finished commentary on Philippians, which I loved doing. Mm-hmm. Four chapters. I can keep my head around it as I'm going through it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard to do that. Um, but 28 chapters of Matthew, uh, 24 chapters of Luke, that's a lot to keep track of. Mm-hmm. What what role do you think the Gospels should play? I mean, what, what role do they play or perhaps what role should they play in discipleship in the church? Is there hmm. – um, do you feel like we've – maybe this is a, too broad of a question, but done an adequate job in – the evangelical church of um, understanding yeah. the gospel's role in discipleship? What role should they play? Well, as soon as we press to that whole level, again, 28 chapters of Matthew, and say, what does Matthew teach about discipleship? Then it gets really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I don't think it's rocket science. I mean, we understand yeah. stories. If yeah. we read from beginning to end and we say, how is Matthew shaping that first century Christian community, um, that's a good initial question, but of course we're, we're hearing how Matthew shapes mm-hmm. even his reader today, right? This is scripture for us. So, um, both questions are relevant and helpful. Um, so, on that, that holistic level, then I think you just get to add to what has traditionally been the arsenal for discipleship, mm-hmm. Jesus's teachings. Yeah. So we go to the Sermon on the Mount, which is an amazing three chapters in Matthew and Matthew 18, the community mm-hmm. discourse. Um, uh, that's one way Matthew communicates discipleship, but he also communicates it narratively through who we're to emulate. Hmm would be one of those. Yeah. Not always the disciples. Um, the people who come to Jesus with faith that Jesus can heal them, we're to emulate those folks. And we're supposed to not emulate others, right? Yeah. I think particularly the Jewish leaders or Herod or Pilate. These are people that we should not look like in the end. So, yeah. we have kind of imitation possibilities even as we read the Gospels. So, there's this kind of how do the Gospel writers shape Hmm. discipleship, shape disciples. I think certainly you go to Jesus' teachings. Those are powerful places. Um, you know, I love Matthew 23, 23, because I think, I think it sums up some of the key values of Matthew hmm. discipleship, which are um, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Hmm. These are kind of at the center and the weightiest matters of the Torah. Um, uh, and being shaped by those exemplars in the narrative and listening for Matthew's big themes and saying, how does that also shape yeah. a disciple like 
Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, 123, and mm. the inclusio or the bookend at the end of the gospel, and I will be with you, Jesus yeah. says. What does that mean for discipleship, that we have a God um, who came to us in Christ and is with us? Mm. That yeah. invites a kind of discipleship stance of not, I'm going to do something, but I'm going to be with Jesus. Yeah. It's kind of a sort of a basic discipleship quality, hang out with yeah. Jesus. And what does that look like in our contemporary context where, you know, yes, the spirit has been given to the church and we can even hear language of the spirit of Jesus in the New Testament, different points. How do we, how are we with Jesus? I think that's just a a lovely discipleship question to ponder. So there's so much there. So I think the richness is there. And if we look at the big picture of a gospel and read the whole, we'll even get more. So I don't think that the church has done poorly getting discipleship themes from the gospels, but there's, I think there's more. Yeah. To go back to. Why do we have four gospel mm. accounts? What's the what is the what is the benefit of having four gospel uh narratives? Um mm-hmm. would it have been is it easier just to, you know would it have been easier just to have one? You know, what what do mm-hmm. we do with the four, I guess is my question. Yeah. I just finished co-teaching a course in our interim for week interim um with Dr. John Dunn at Bethel. Uh, seminary, and it, it was on Jesus Now Playing. It was okay. about film, um, film portrayals of Jesus, but also looking at the Gospels and also um, second, third century Gospels, non-canonical, to see kind of what what are the trends. Yeah. And one of the trends today and then is to, to harmonize, yeah. to make one single Gospel. So, you have something in the mid-second century called the Diatessaron, written by Tatian, where he just brings it all together. Yeah. And he, I think he felt like a better choice would be to have just one. And um, I think it's Justin Martyr says into that, no, four, you know, God-given four Gospels. I mean, just lays into it yeah. and says, we need four. And I'm with Justin on this one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, the tendency to harmonize, uh, there are reasons for that. And, you know, there's something maybe gained as we think about how do we kind of picture Jesus historically. Mm-hmm. Um, historical Jesus work does have to do some harmonizing. Um but there's something lost. And I, I just think staying with John from beginning to end, you will hear the Jesus as Passover lamb yeah. in a different way than if you just bring things together. In fact, you might just lose that theme entirely because it's, it's again, at the beginning, it's in the crucifixion narrative. And so, you, you, you know, you have to listen closely to an individual gospel. So, the early church just affirmed four, even if it's not as neat and tidy as we'd like. Yeah. Now, we- one of the things I help students understand is that in ancient biography, which I think the Gospels resemble, they're not fully kind of that first century genre, but they they resemble it. Um, sometimes theme is more important than chronology. Hmm. So, if you want to communicate a theme, you can do that by arrangement yeah. of the smaller parts. And that just took a weight off me when I realized, oh my goodness, I don't have to be all futzed up about chronology in the smallest little bits yeah. because theme is the way ancient biographers led the way in these episodic kind of moments yeah. in the middle sections of their biographies. Um, and that helps me because then, then you hear theme and you go, oh, that's the, that's the theology. That's where yeah. you get to hear the theology of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. One of the questions that you know, I've, I've had uh, people ask me in a pastoral role here, you know, how do I deal with some of the differences that, you know, if I'm looking at two account, you know, an account in Luke, an account in Matthew, or Mark, how do I deal with some of the differences that I might notice? I mean, how have you 
Yeah. I, I suppose it maybe as a case by case basis, some of that, but are there mm-hmm. some general principles that you think through uh, yes. that, are that are helpful? I think it's helpful to say in this gospel that I'm looking at. So if there's a, you know, a small, you know, a, a difference between mm-hmm. them or a difference in order, you mm-hmm. know, again, that is not a huge deal according to ancient biography biographical standards, um, but to ask, how does it function in the gospel? I'm looking at that. Yeah. So, the Matthew um, 8 in the centurion, who comes for healing for his um, servant, um, how do, it functions differently there. Mm-hmm. It does, you know, it's not a different story. I think it's the same account mm-hmm. that in, in Luke 7, but it functions differently in both gospels, and there's something beautiful about it, how it communicates yeah. right in that context. I mean, Matthew brings together nine or ten miracle stories in chapters eight and nine and just one after another kind of with a few pauses to talk about discipleship or give discipleship accounts and 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 many of them healings mm-hmm. the first three are healings and that's one of these you know it's the the, lep- the leper who is healed the um, centurion's servant and then peter's mother-in-law and they come right in a row and then we have this amazing quotation from isaiah 53 4 he took our illnesses he carried our diseases hmm. Uh, so you can hear Jesus as healer being about his power, his compassion, his his ability to take on for his people, yeah. even their illnesses, not just sins. There's no part of you know, no part of that that was about sin in that yeah. little section. It's about their illnesses. Wow, what could that teach us about who Jesus is for us? Hmm. That's really good, and that you know maybe this uh, maybe we should go into looking at how to how do we interpret different. Uh, Sections like if we're going to take a, if we're going to look at the the centurion of Matthew eight, how, what are some principles that we can go, you know, uh, that we could go over yeah. that are just good interpretive principles for understanding narrative? Yeah, um, you know, a, a close, careful reading is always a good starting point. Okay, so read thoughtfully, closely. If you have questions, jot them down. Commentary. Terry's are often helpful with that. Um, again, this is Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Um, but fairly quickly in the process, waffle out. I kind of think of like an accordion. You know, so notice that um, the Sermon on the Mount has just concluded at the end of chapter 7, and chapter 8, 1 through 4 is about the first healing of Jesus recorded. Now, the summaries that Jesus is healed already show up in 4, 23 and 20 to 25, but now this is the first sort of account of a healing and then we have the centurion story and then we have um, Peter's mother-in-law and then we have this sort of summary of all of the healings Jesus was doing and then the Isaiah quotation so mm-hmm. look at that 8 1 through 17 don't just limit yourself to the one episode because that helps us hear you know this healing motif within the plot mm-hmm. but also the themes again I would say of compassion of power of authority you can hear that language kind of and and I, the ideas and the language kind of walking through that section of text um, and then go back to the text and read yeah. it some more and and ask some you know sometimes there's historical questions that show up um, other times there are sort of literary questions kind of from across Matthew mm-hmm. what's interesting is that if you look at chapters eight and nine this is the only clear occasion where Jesus heals um, for or heals both a Gentile, but also for a Gentile. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it might be that the end of chapter 8 is also Gentilic, but Matthew doesn't, if you looked at the comparison with Mark, Matthew doesn't highlight that. Yeah, It seems like this is the Gentile in the section. So, 
So one thing that you would miss if you just looked at the passage itself, you'd say, well, Gentile inclusion, so not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. Um, we would kind of miss that if we just look even at chapters eight and nine, because you have to go yeah. start at chapter one and hear the women, uh, yeah. Tamar, Rahab, you have to hear the Gentile inclusion there and the Magi in chapter two. And that's the kind of theme that kind of bops, I always say it bops across the top of Matthew. Or, you know, every once yeah. in a while, and just when you forgot Gentile inclusion is important, there it shows up again. <laughs> chapter four, um, uh, 12 through 16. I mean, it just keeps on coming at you. And this passage has a lot in common with the Canaanite woman of chapter 15. And these are mm. both within the Galilean ministry yeah. of Jesus. And they're, they're sort of the exceptions to the rule. Mm-hmm. Jesus only goes to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, mm. 1524. That's what he has his disciples do, 10, 5 through 6. But when there's great faith or such faith as this, as is in both these cases, he moves past that kind of missional yeah. boundary for the for his public ministry, for his ministry mm. prior to the cross and resurrection. So, all sorts of stuff in that one passage, but you see it by pulling back further. So, so never just stay in one passage. Yeah. Um, you know, pull back, but do that kind of waffling back and forth. Or forest trees, forest trees. I had one student turn in a paper on a long section of text, Matthew 21 to 22, just like, 90 verses or something crazy like yeah. that. I had them do something that they couldn't actually write me a commentary because I'm like, I don't need them to do that. They yeah. need to kind of think big picture, right? She'd handed it in and she said, well, that was dizzying. I said, good, you did it right because you were thinking forest, trees, forest, yeah. trees, and kind of a little dizzying. But the value of seeing big, seeing particular, seeing big, seeing particular is part of it. I love that part of the exegetical task. It's just, it allows me to see what Matthew is doing not just what Jesus and the centurion were about. So maybe it's a both and. So maybe what you're uh, to say it differently you're encouraging people to slow down in their reading and you know I feel like we we love our our sound bites even when it comes to devotionals you know it's mm. one little verse at the top and some yeah. story that may or may not be related to the text. But in this case it would be I mean that's going to take some time to read through the entire gospel yeah. maybe yeah. multiple times. And to notice yeah. the surrounding context, um, you know, around Matthew chapter eight, and but I think there's and probably some richness to slowing down in our reading and our processing. Right. And and it initially can be helpful to just go out a little ways, like eight one through seventeen, then come back, and then chapters eight through nine, then realize how this sits within chapters four seventeen through nine through five. Mm-hmm. There's a nice little bracketing there that kind of yeah. helps you hear that as a unit. Yeah. Um, so, so in other words, you don't have to just go to the to the read the whole of twenty okay. chapters. Although that's not that long, it probably takes you two to three hours. Yeah. Um, if you sat down with a novel on a nice sunny afternoon yeah. outside, I'm kind of dreaming about you know what well, it'll be like in Minnesota in two months. But um, you would you you could read for two hours, yeah. no problem, right? Yeah. You can do this work. Well, it's not that much work. You know, when we go, when we read through the Gospel of Matthew, you know. You frequently, you know, come across quotations from the Old Testament, and mm-hmm. um, maybe for the attentive listener or attentive reader, um, maybe some some little echoes of the Old Testament. What do we do with these quotations and these uh, these little echoes that we might hear from the Old Testament? Yeah, um, there's a whole sub-discipline within my field of biblical studies that, that's called intertextuality. For New Testament um, scholars, that's really looking at 
how the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures and sometimes other Jewish texts, but mostly, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Old Testament canon, um, comes into the New Testament and how it's used, both in terms of so the citations. I, my, the longest one in Matthew is chapter 12, 18 through 21, where all of Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 shows up. It's really important. Mm-hmm. When you're going to quote that much, it must be something really, and I, it's right in the center of Jesus' Galilean ministry. So, I think it's about helping us hear how the whole thing fits Jesus as this Isaiahic servant representing Israel um, for the nations. Uh, um, so, citations, but they're also, like you've mentioned, just these allusions, a mm-hmm. few words, and maybe the theme really carries across, um, and sometimes just little echoes. Yeah. You know, uh, that's one, it's a title, part of a title of Richard Hayes's books, Echoes of the Old Testament and the Gospels. Oh, yeah, Echoes of Scripture yeah, in the Gospels. Yeah, in the Gospels, yeah. right. Yeah, so those echoes can be even illuminating. And so part of it is just going back and looking at the Old Testament text and reading that context a bit, reading mm-hmm. the New Testament use, um, and just kind of wondering about those connections. Um, in my book, Gospels of Stories, uh, I have four sets of chapters, um, and I talk about some of these key storied kind of mm-hmm. elements in a, in gospels one is plot plotting how author plots and then i look at how that functions in luke and then i do characters mm-hmm. which are just you know the people of the gospels that's just fun right and then i look at the disciples in matthew and then i do intertextuality talk about that as a discipline or a method mm-hmm. and then i look at um how john um identifies two key themes, one Christological about Jesus, that Jesus is the Passover lamb. And then the other one is Jesus inaugurating the new creation, the renewal of creation in John. That really comes from the way we hear Genesis in chapter one, but also Genesis echoes in chapters 19 and 20. Hmm. So, if you want to kind of hear it, that's I forget which chapter is, maybe chapter seven or something like that. Yeah, I think so. Um, that that gives an example of what it might look like to read with that thoughtful looking back and wondering about various hmm. echoes. The final two chapters are narrative theology. How do we hear theology yeah. in a narrative that I use Mark for that? And so. I can maybe hear some of our listeners saying, you know, is this, maybe they don't have a seminary degree or, you know, they maybe they're not naturally inclined to more of a intellectual or academic look at the text how would you know what um how would you counsel them to read the gospels i mean is there yeah if someone were to say you know this is is this just too academic yeah um i would i would say uh read for holes and that's not an academic exercise per se yeah um i love i give the little quotation a little quotation on the very first page of my book um from justin martyr 156 um, he wrote that in church gatherings on Sundays, quote, the memoirs of the apostles or the writer, writings of the prophets are read as long as there is time, hmm. end quote. So, there's a sense that they didn't just do little snippets. Yeah. There's nothing sort of holy or baptized about little snippets. Yeah. In fact, sometimes you lose something in that process. It doesn't mean you can't ruminate on a verse of scripture it yeah. just means let's let's have, make sure that we're doing kind of both and or mm-hmm. variety of ways of reading um and i have found because I, I have a hard time just sitting with one verse i mean yeah. i want to hear it in its context that's it, you know that's part of my training but i i do think it's about good reading habits it's how we yeah. read again you wouldn't pull out one paragraph of, of an agatha christie novel and say i'm going to just think about that for a while i mean yeah. you've got to hear it in context right um and something about the whole 
um, feels like less about mastery than mystery. Mm-hmm. There's a way you can master a verse if you study it enough and long enough and hard enough, or maybe even one passage like yeah. the centurion. But you can't, I can't, I have not mastered any of the Gospels. Yeah. Um, there's something more sort of about kind of invitation into the the big picture that leaves me with more invitations from yeah. God. That's the way I would put it in my own devotional experience yeah. with the Gospels, which I read them as wholes. And I mean, and that's not that I only read from beginning to end, yeah. but when I jump into the middle of a John chapter 10, I know what's been going on, and I can sit and think about Jesus as the shepherd, the mm. good shepherd, with the other images that have shown up and mm. the festivals that have populated this part of John, and there's just something rich there. Do you think it's true to say that, I mean, all of us are drawn to story in you know, maybe we're not, you know, we don't like reading fiction novels, but there's an element yeah. that we are all drawn to story, narrative. I think so. We're, we're wired. We're wired to tell our own life in story form. Yeah. I mean, so you could you could say um, I could bring together some quite disparate elements of my life, hmm. and I tend to want to hear them in a coherent way. Yeah. And often the way we do that is by narrating a story. Yeah. Um, and I do think, you know, God has given a scripture, yeah. which follows a storyline, you know, yeah. the, the Bartholomew and Goheen and other authors have talked about the, the six great acts of yeah. the biblical canon or the whole scripture. So, so I think, and, and, you know, there are things like narrative psychology and narrative preaching and, you know, it's kind of tapped into this sense that we do yeah. appreciate story, think in story. Um, and a lot of the Bible is narrative. Yeah. Not all of it, but a lot of it is. Are there any, uh, you know, just our last minutes here, are there any suggestions, um, that you would have for maybe new believers or, Mm -hmm. um, maybe people that are just checking out faith? They, maybe they don't even have a background, um, Mm -hmm. in the church. Are there any suggestions that you would have for a place to start when it comes to, uh, reading the gospels to understanding the gospels and maybe some maybe some other resources too that mm-hmm. um would be a good uh maybe augment to reading the gospels themselves yeah um i think first make sure that you have a translation that feels understandable to you and i'm not big on saying you have to you know choose one particular one there yeah. there are many good english translations make sure there's one that just makes it feels like it's clarifying mm-hmm. um Translations are written for different audiences, so just make sure that the one you've picked is yeah. is for you in a sense. Yeah. Um, so, and then I would just say read larger holes. You know, think about, and you don't have to start in Genesis. You can. Some people, when they do that, get kind of stuck in Leviticus. Yeah. Which is fine. You know, this is not a narrative, so it doesn't tend to flow as quickly. Um, but you know, choose some books, whether New Testament or Old Testament. That that, but read kind of the whole book over a period of three or four days or whatever it is that yeah. depending on the length Ruth four chapters you can get it done real quick it's a great story my daughter used to alternate between Ruth and Esther Ruth and Esther like yeah. when she was reading during the sermon when she was <clears throat> 10 she wasn't really listening to the sermon just fine she, she was reading the Bible I'm like okay <laughs> Ruth Esther Ruth Esther because you know those are the stories of women yeah and that really met her yeah um you know in the New Testament you know you can pick something shorter I mean, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts are quite all quite long. Matthew or Mark is 16 chapters, so a little shorter. 
if you want to choose a gospel that's a bit shorter, just because you don't want to feel overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And you can pick short books like Philippians. I love Philippians. It's an amazing book in four chapters. So, yeah. quite, quite easy to read in one sitting. Yeah. Listen for the author. And here I'm talking about the human author. I do believe scripture is inspired. So, yeah. but I believe the divine author really um, speaks through the human author. I mean, I think these yeah. are, for me, those are coherent, connected yeah. deeply. Um, and th- people have different views on that. That's fine. I'm not trying to, again, convince somebody of one particular way of understanding that relationship. That's pretty um, maybe podcast complex. podcast for another day. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. But, but read and say, what's Paul up to here? Or yeah. what is John up to in the Gospel of John? Or in First John? Yeah. Um, and just let that be just, kind of yeah a practice maybe that's really good i um i appreciate your insights and um like i said you know you've you've uh you've had a significant impact in my own uh interpretation of uh the gospels and scripture and i uh, appreciate um your teaching ministry and um well, and writing ministry and um i uh i know this has been helpful for our our listeners today is uh for those who um want to dive deeper into the Gospels or those who are just mm-hmm. trying to figure out where to begin. Um, Absolutely. So, I really appreciate your time and uh, thanks for being on Happy with to today. be here. Glad so. to have the conversation. Well, thank you. And I want to thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about Calvary Church, you can visit calvarychurch.us. Uh, you can check us out online or in person on Sunday mornings. Uh, we would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you listen. It also helps if you leave us a review. Uh, we look forward to having you join us again next week. <laughs>